Well, welcome to another episode of Breakaway from the Rat Race. And today I have the pleasure of speaking with Richard Canfield. Uh, Richard uh, basically has a whole life-changing experience in 2009 when he read a book called Becoming Your Own Banker from R. Nelson um uh what's his last name again nash that's right and then uh so yeah you were kind of like covering part of the name uh no problem and this is a very well-known book i think I, I, you know if people look at the cover behind um behind richard you're gonna see that uh you, you're probably gonna recognize that cover but anyway richard's life changed in 2009 when he read that book uh, and he actually became friends with the author nelson nash and, uh, and Nelson basically became his mentor. And now uh, Richard is an Amazon best-selling author, a podcast host, and the authorized infinite banker, uh, banking practitioner. Uh, Richard is also passionate about putting people in the driver's seat of their financial future uh, and all about creating durable, dependable, generational wealth, which is something that we're all about here. So uh, him, uh, Richards and his team, Richard and his team, uh, they work with families, they work with business owners, they work with real estate investors and, and to strategize about how they can keep more of their money, more of their profits that flows through their hands over a lifetime. And I want to emphasize the word flow because it's about the flow and this is a critical important everybody's talking about accumulation we need to talk about flow richard this is a long intro welcome to the show eric i'm uh, really glad to be here you have an amazing show i know your uh your listeners i'm sure absolutely love it um i know as a listener i've enjoyed a ton of the the episodes and you have amazing guests and i'm just happy to be a part of that group and uh, to be able to have this epic conversation with you today Excellent. So infinite banking, I mean, we a lot of people talk about infinite banking and, um, and or some version of that. Sometimes they use other words to describe infinite banking. They kind of have like a almost like trademark on uh, some of the terminology there. But the concepts are pretty, uh, they've been around for a very long time. So why don't you uh, explain to the, our listeners what, what does that mean? What is the infinite banking concept? And how does it work? Yeah, a really good question. So, you know, I'll, I'll divert to Nelson Nash, you mentioned earlier. Nelson um, was an incredible human being. So, so infinite banking concept actually is trademarked and as is uh, the Becoming Your Own Banker. And so the book Becoming Your Own Banker, uh, it was written, uh, originally published in the year 2000. So it's now in its, it's entering its 23rd year of existence. And, uh, you know, prior to that, you know, it, it centers around the utilization of a financial vehicle, but the, that's just the tool. So I, I always use this example, you know, Eric, you've been in real estate a long time. I'm sure you've looked at real estate over the past where there's been really ugly trees in front of a house that needed to be cut down. Oh yeah. Well, they, they bring a big chainsaw in. Now, I don't know if you've ever been behind the wheel of that chainsaw before, but I just use this analogy. Imagine I had a chainsaw, I fired it up, I sharpened the chain, I got the fuel mix, everything's ready to go. And I hand that chainsaw to someone who's never even seen one before. What's the chance that they could seriously injure themselves? That's yeah, pretty high. Even though pretty there's high. safety features associated with that, uh, it's right. pretty high. And, and not only that, they could also just damage or destroy the tool. Okay. Mm -hmm. So the issue wasn't the chainsaw. The issue was the user and the knowledge base of the user. 
Okay. And so when it comes to the infinite banking concept, a tool that we use to implement that strategy is a type of insurance contract. It's a, it's a high cash value, dividend paying, participating whole life contract with a mutual insurance carrier. There's very specific things that need to be in place so that you as the, as the owner, the contract owner are placed in an ownership position, just like you want to own and control real estate. You want to own and control insurance contracts where you can store capital, you can build a reservoir of capital that you can access for anything you're already doing in life. You got to go and buy a car, boom, you need access to capital. You're going to go and buy a piece of real estate for a down payment, boom, you need access to capital. You got to go pay your home insurance, your property tax, um, you know, renovate the property. You're going to do a flip project. You got to go on vacation with your family. All of these things have a flow of money going from a reservoir somewhere where the money lives to some other third party. That transactional nature is what we refer to as banking. Mm -hmm. We bank every day. Banking is a fundamental aspect of everything that we do in our daily lives. It is, it is literally the basis of how the whole machine of the world operates. Without banking, everything comes to a screeching halt. Does that make sense? Yeah. So that, that flow of capital and that flow of money is what we're looking to harness back into the individual's life, your life. And we use Nelson's mindset, Nelson's uh, concept to implement that. Now I say, so the concept and the tool of the insurance are two totally different things. Mm -hmm. You can go have an insurance contract all day long. It could have every bell and whistle on it that you want. But if you don't know how to use the tool and you don't understand the mindset required to be successful with it, you won't have really anything at all. All you'll have right. is just a bag of insurance. Yeah. So this is not about insurance. This is about capital flow capitalization, and then the lifelong usage of capital over your lifespan for the things that you're already doing in life. Now, I mentioned a few of them. Um, and I'll, I'll I'll give you an example of one, and I'll, I'll just kind of pops into my mind. So I, obviously doing this, I have a number of insurance contracts. I have them on several on my life. I have a few on my wife, and I've got uh, two on each of my kids. My children are five and seven years old. My son just turned seven. Um, amazing young man and, and my daughter and incredible. Now we, we talk about family banking in our household and I'll, I'll maybe touch on that a little bit more uh, throughout our chat today, but uh, I recently got a policy on my wife. This was last year uh, in January. I was able to, to backdate the policy a little bit. So the anniversary just came up before Christmas. It was in December. Mm -hmm. Now I, as the owner decided how much I wanted to inject in capital into that contract. Does that make sense? Yeah. So we talk about how do you get started? Well, first off, you need to know what's your cash flow like? What do you have available either through assets, accessible value, or ongoing cash flow? Mm -hmm. If you're spending more than you make every month, this is probably not the right process for you. Yeah. Okay. You need to have positive cash flow. Yeah. You got to have more money coming in than what's going out. Well, if now, you have a negative cash flow, you have a you have to work on that problem first. You you got to solve that problem first, and there's tons of amazing coaching about that. Now, what's interesting about that is a lot of times we meet with people and they think they think that they don't have any cash flow, but it's because they've already prioritized all of their cash flow for something else mm -hmm. rather than themselves. Does yeah. that make sense? Yeah. So one of the fundamental principles about learning how to build and control wealth is knowing that you need to pay yourself first. I have not find, found in my my lifespan, at least anyway, a better way of paying yourself first in a fundamental and true format than by having a high cash value insurance contract you want to control mm -hmm. because it creates a forced savings mechanism 
where you're building up a reservoir of capital and you now have money in constant motion. And I'll speak a little bit more about that in a moment. So like, like, uh, like you do, and I'm sure every, all of your listeners do, you're going to have to pay a tax bill to the IRS every once in a while. Mm -hmm. And I'm guessing they have no sense of humor about that at all. No. You know, <laughs> and they won't, they won't accept the shingles and the drywall on your buildings <clears throat> or the front door or the windows. They're only going to accept us currency. Mm -hmm. Well, I, I'm in Canada, you know, you know, the Canadian tax man, the CRA is no different. They'll only accept Canadian currency. They're more greedy. Yeah, but they, 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 they have that problem. That's true. <clears throat> now, interestingly enough, uh, I, I have to pay my tax bill, uh, you know, like anybody else. And so I put money aside every month for that purpose. As revenues come in, I take a percentage of that revenue and I set it aside for the purpose of paying the tax man. So I don't go backwards. All right. I'm sure there's people who've been, who started in business or real estate investors. They weren't properly planning for that. And they got caught in a trap over three, four or five years mm -hmm. where a huge tax bill built up. And then they had to tackle the problem after the fact. Yeah. I personally have experienced that myself. And maybe, maybe that's something you're aware of. So oh, yeah. Once you get over that trap, now you got to be a good steward of the money. You got to develop good habits. A lot of this is about habits, and you got to start setting that money aside. Well, if I'm going to set it aside anyway, where do I want to have that money live? Over in a regular useless bank account with some third party bank that I do not own and control? Or do I want to have that money resting, warehoused inside of an entity that I do own and control? I, I choose the latter. <clears throat> so last year, I started a policy, a new policy on my wife. It was actually a term conversion. I had set up a policy on her with a large term insurance uh, many years previous for mm -hmm. the for planning for the future. Because yeah. I knew at some point my business would improve, my cash flow would improve, and I would be at a right stage where I could do this conversion. Does that make sense? Yeah. So I chose the number. The number I chose was $35,000 of what I wanted to contribute into this new program. Now, out of that, obviously, there's you know, a bunch of death benefit, et cetera. But the 35,000 number I came up with, and it's it's a little bit more than that, but it's pretty close. There's a minimum requirement, what we refer to as the base amount of the base premium. And then there's a flexible portion. Mm -hmm. That flexible portion is 100% optional. And I get to choose when throughout the, the policy year I put it in. I can put it all in on day one. I could drip it in throughout the time. Or let's say I had a real estate deal and I'm doing a flip project. I get, I get my flip uh, paid out. I sell the property. I have an influx of capital. Boom. I can inject that money right away into the policy. Does that make sense? Uh, yep. <clears throat> so there's a ton of fluidity and, and control here. This is all comes down to control. In real estate, you know, the three magic words are location, location, location. When it comes to the infinite banking concept, it's control, control, control. And then you could follow that up with location of the equity, location of the equity, location of the equity. Mm -hmm. You have equity building in real estate, but you can build equity in insurance contracts the same way. Yeah. The difference is when you build the equity in the insurance contract, that money isn't in a prison that's hard to access where you got to go beg, borrow and steal and give up your firstborn child to go get some snot nosed banker to agree that you've got a good enough business to lend you the money. Mm -hmm. Okay. With the insurance contract, because you're a co-owner in the insurance company, you have first right of access to whatever can be lent from your contract with no questions asked. It is ultimate and total control. That is very powerful. Mm -hmm. Now, I want to pause here because I think you've done, you've talked about a lot of things, a lot. And I think a lot of it is in kind of like in the details, right? So, so for you in, in, in saving, so you say, oh, you know, every year I have to pay some taxes or I have to, I want to buy a car next, uh, in, in six months or, you know, next year or whatever, or blah, blah, blah. I have some big expense, $30,000 expense. 
So I could put, I could save money every month, put it in a bank at a phenomenal uh, rate of uh, potentially zero, maybe more. You know, if I'm on Ally Bank and it's just like it's three percent say uh, interest rate per year, it's like phenomenal. <laughs> uh, still below inflation, but uh, you know, so instead, so I could put the money there. That's fine. I could put it under my pillow and my mattress and kind of like do it like that. But what you're suggesting is that okay, well, I would like to put it in somewhere that is gonna have more benefits is going to have more advantages some tax advantages and also you know in your in in that situation with the, the insurance contract you're also going to have insurance benefit totally so, so instead of paying your um you're putting it in the bank and say well i'm just going to pay the premium to that uh insurance policy so you know 50 500 a month and some a lot of these insurance policies, yes, they have, uh, especially the ones that you're talking about, it's very flexible. So if you want to pay more, if you want to pay less and there's enough cash value in the policy, it's just kind of, it adjusts itself to, to the needs. There's a minimum amount that you have to put in normally to pay for what's called the death benefit uh, piece of it and maybe some admins and stuff like that. But basically that's it. And then it is, everything else on top of that goes towards a cash value that is invested uh, for you uh, somewhere. So now you have an insurance policy that's providing you benefit. You have some, you're paying the premium in there. And then from that, you're getting some kind of, or did we talk about that already? Some cash value. And so take it from there. Take it from there. Well, uh, yeah. So you're, you you're 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 90% on track okay, and in fact, okay. we, we explain how that works in our book called cash follows the leader and we actually have some diagrams in there okay. so we're, we're using the example of my, my wife's policy so it's $35,000 now it just so happens that i have my a corporation of mine owns that contract the minimum premium in that example i'm just going to keep it round numbers is 10,000 mm -hmm. so the flexible portion is 25,000 okay now i designed the policy there's other reasons around that but that's that's the the status of this particular contract now, the very first day after I put that money into the contract, I immediately had a tax-free death benefit on my wife's life that was that was much greater than the than the thirty-five grand. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and and so, if something heaven forbid, something happens to my wife, tax-free money that the IRS or CRA can't get their hands on comes in immediately to solve problems. Okay. Now, out of the thirty-five, I was able to access immediately about twenty-three thousand dollars by way of a policy loan. Now, that's not all of my capital, but that's okay. As the policy grows and matures and gets more efficient, I will get access to all of my capital. It'll take a couple of years, but it is an always in growth mode. It's always in motion. So mm -hmm. a way to look at this is, hey, if I had to put $35,000 down on a down payment, 20% down on a rental property, well, how much of my 35 grand would I have available? Zero. Mm -hmm. I would have to go and beg a third-party lender or a private lender to get access to the money again. Does that make sense? Yeah. In this situation, I have access to 65%, 66% of every dollar I contributed down payment into my insurance contract. Yeah, yeah. And I have a guaranteed pledge by the insurance company that they're going to grow my cash value every single day that I take air into my lungs. In this case, my wife takes air into her lungs all the way to age 100. Now, in the States, it's age 121. They're on a different uh, lifespan. So I have a contractual obligation by the insurance company that they have to stuff more cash value into that contract each and every day, and they can't stop it. It must grow. So when I go to access a policy loan, in this case, I took $23,000 out. 
And I went and gave that to the Canadian government for my tax bill. So I put 35 in, I had to put, save the money up anyway. A portion of that was, uh, that didn't pay my entire, you know, the, the uh, $23,000 I borrowed didn't pay the whole tax bill. Yeah. I had other reserves available, yeah. but the equivalent of what I needed to pay in a tax bill for that particular corporation was 35 grand. Mm -hmm. I ran the full value of that into my machine first. Mm -hmm. I want to get the machine kickstarted. Once that machine is moving forward and it's in motion, it has no reverse gear. It can't go backward. Mm -hmm. It can only go forward. Now, the moment I put that in, that extra flexible portion, the 25000 that instantly purchased a brand new chunk of de tax-free death benefit on my wife of $108,000. Now, by age 100 in Canada, age 121 in the States, that policy must have that total death benefit must, or the cash value must equal the total death benefit. Okay. So if I just took... 25 grand and I increased the death benefit by 110. I have taken today's money, which is, which is when is a dollar worth more today or tomorrow? Uh, today. So I've taken today's money and I've made an exchange of a guaranteed result of future increasing money. Mm -hmm. It's like if you bought a property and yeah. you knew that you could appraise that property for $110,000 more at a certain date and time, yeah. no matter what. That's basically what I've created with the insurance contract. Nice. So each and every day, my capital in my wife's contract has to grow and it's chasing after that future value. It has to chase it. There's no other option. It mm -hmm. is a contractual obligation of the insurance contract. We have bound the company, which we co-own, to fulfilling that obligation. So that's mm -hmm. why it doesn't have any market risk. It's mm -hmm. not tied to the the the, uh, the 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 same pressures that we're seeing in the in the real estate market, the interest rates and the inflation and all the other things. And I've basically inflationarily protected that dollar because I use today's dollar and I guarantee a future, more future dollars on yeah. it. Now, I was able to liberate a whole bunch of that money, but the money I accessed wasn't mine. When I accessed a policy loan for 23000 yeah, I didn't come out of my values. That's right. My values were collateral. Yeah. I got the money from the general fund of the insurance company who I co-own. I co-own the lender. Okay. Mm -hmm. Now I have to pay some interest to those guys, but they have to put the money to work for everyone that's in the game. We're all in one. So imagine if you ever heard like a co-op, essentially, yeah. Yeah. you become a member of the co-op and everyone kind of shares in that pool, right? And if yeah. the co-op's profitable, they will think everyone gets like a dividend. Yeah. Same general premise applies with these insurance contracts when they're set up the right way. Yeah. So now- the insurance company has to put that money to work for everyone's benefit, including mine. Mm -hmm. One of the places they could put it to work is with policy owners like, like myself. Mm -hmm. So I have first right to access a chunk of that money. Now, as I refill the tank for my tax bill next year, I can shove that money back in and I can repay that policy loan mm -hmm. so that next year when I need to go pay my tax bill, I can access that money again and I can lather, rinse, and repeat. Yeah. So the policy is getting more efficient each and every year. Yeah. So I want to touch on a couple of things. I mean, you've mentioned co-own because uh, when you're looking at the insurance companies where you're going to get that insurance, uh, there are some that are, you know, public, public companies that are, you know, there's just like a, a real company and on stock market, all that. But you also have mutual insurance companies. And, and this is what you're talking about is that you're getting these uh, these policies from a mutual um, insurance companies. And the thing is that it's kind of like a co-op. You're kind of like, yeah, you're getting a policy from uh, from that insurance company, but you're also part owner 
of that company and you share in the profit and gets distributed to you as dividend at, uh, on a regular basis. So that's what that's kind of like what the, the idea is behind co-own, right? Generally speaking, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and then, so, and the other thing that I want to emphasize uh, is also that what you're doing with this insurance policy is you're basically creating it, you're creating an asset out of that. And that asset, um, you are able to borrow on that. That's basically create collateral. And then you're able to do a policy loan, a loan on that using the policy as as equity, and then you can use the money from something else. The same way that you're using a loan to, you know, for a house, you know, you borrow, you use the house as equity, then, you know, you're doing, doing the same basically with that policy. You're creating an asset that has a cash value and uh, obviously debt, debt benefit, death benefit. And um, so, yeah. It, it's right? basically like a, like a constantly accumulating operating line of credit. Yeah. So, you know, just like having a HELOC against a, a, a property, the difference is if you want to increase the size of your HELOC, you got to go back into the bank and mm -hmm. do an appraisal and fees and costs and, you know, Mickey Mouse paperwork. Whereas in this environment, the the operating line of credit is automatically increasing on a day by day basis. Yeah. And it's constantly escalating in its increasing value. So you can do all the same things that you're doing with your normal life. You're just changing the way in which you do it. So we talk about banking as a process because that's what it is. You you got to go pay the mortgage guy and the car payment guy and the this guy or the mm -hmm. or gal. And your, your money is always flowing away from you, away from you, away from you. As soon as the money goes to the car payment guy, that they've got the money and now they're earning on your money. Yeah. Whereas if you put the money into the insurance contract first, yeah. now your money in the insurance contract is always working for you for the rest of your natural life and it cannot be stopped the only yeah. thing that stops it is someone dies yeah. and if someone dies guess what way more money shows up than what you put in yeah so you you're winning in that game now if you access capital from the insurance company which you co-own then you're you're you know you're now able to go still pay the car payment guy the difference is the flow and the change of the money is what is what adjusts and so you are placing your original dollar in a position where it's always in motion, you know, you had an amazing guest on recently, uh, Adam Carroll, you know, talking about the shred method, a uh, really amazing episode. I would encourage everyone to go listen to, yeah. you know, he, he obliterated his debt in like a record amount of time. What's, what's, what's interesting about that is how much cooler could that be if he also incorporated infinite banking concept at the beginning stages? Now he did talk about incorporating it later on in life, but if he would have also done it at the same time frame up front, then now he would be having a much larger asset and much larger protection for his family overall, while also obliterating the debt yeah. and then changing who owns the debt, moving mm -hmm. the debt from someone else's balance sheet over to his balance sheet. See, every asset shows up as a liability to someone else and yeah. every liability is someone else's asset. So, as a consumer, we tend to think about what's on our balance sheet. What are our assets? It's the real estate. It's the equity. It's the stock portfolio. It's the 401k. It's all this, you know, bag of, bag of crap over here. Well, by the way, cash value in an insurance contract goes on the asset column for the balance sheet in case yeah. anyone wonders. Yeah. But when we look at our liabilities, that's the, that's the loans and the mortgages and everything else. Well, all those loans and mortgages and everything else, they are on the asset column for the bank. Mm -hmm. So all you want to do is trade places with them. If it's good enough for it to be an asset for them, it should be good enough to be an asset for you. Their names are in all the big buildings. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. So the uh, so 
So that's good. This is very good. Uh, how, what are some of the kind of like, I'd say benefits, but also kind of like, so now you have set up your, uh, your insurance policy and all of that, and you're good to go. So how, what are the, the mechanics like for, for actually using that, uh, the policy loan, uh, any kind of like, uh, tricks or any kind of, uh, particular ways to use that cash for something that would be you know kind of like multiply and uh, accelerate your generational wealth multi-generational wealth yeah I'll, I'll give you a couple i'm gonna start with like some very simple basic like everyday kind of items just to get the the brain thinking a little bit yeah. so everyone probably has home and auto insurance right and if you're a real estate investor you got probably a lot of home insurance for different properties so in general, it's not exclusive across the board, but in general, when it comes to most insurances, you get a decent discount if you pay for it annually. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, certainly in the life insurance realm and and, and like uh, life and sickness type insurance, if you pay that annually, you usually get a big discount. It can be as maybe as little as 5% and as much as, you know, eight to 10% with some companies. I actually did the math on one recently for a guy who had a bunch of term insurance. Yeah. It was like 13%. So just by paying annually, he's going to get, he's going to earn a 13% rate of return on money that was already walking out the door. Does that make sense? Yep. The only thing that changed was his habits and his thinking. Yeah. So he didn't need to go and find a 13% ROI investment. He just had to change the way in which he did something. Yeah. So now he's got a new policy that he just set up. He's going to borrow from that policy with insurance company A. And he's going to access whatever the $3,000 he needed to go pay the annual premiums on other policies, which he was already committed to doing, yeah. he's going to get a discount. And that monthly payment had been in his budget for about 10 years. Mm -hmm. If a payment's been in your budget for 10 years, that's pretty consistent. You're not yeah. going to change doing that, right? Mm -hmm. Well, don't change doing it. Just change who gets the money. Yeah. So instead of giving the money to those guys, you're now just going to reallocate that as a monthly loan repayment to the policy that you now own and control. Yeah. So all we're doing is flipping the switch on how the money flows. So it's, again, it goes back to money flow. Now in that example, he's got way better insurance. It's constantly in motion. He's got permanent coverage. His family's more protected and he's now feels empowered and in control. So some of the benefits go beyond the financial. They go to the mindset. It goes to, you know, when you're in control of your own financial destiny and you have cash confidence, there's something magical that happens in your psyche. Mm -hmm. It is a, it is a huge boost. And when you can put your head on your pillow and you know that the next day you wake up, there's going to be more cash in your asset value and your your asset column than the day you went to bed before, yeah. mm -hmm. that is an empowering feeling, especially when there's all this financial noise out there that's trying to scare people from getting into the investment world. It's just such an empowering feeling. Now, as a real estate investor, real estate investors will recognize that you can't get anything done unless you have access to capital. Mm -hmm. It's either your capital or you got to access someone else's pile, joint venture partners, investment partners, or a third-party bank or a third-party lender. That's yeah. where the capital comes from. So the reason people have to go see other parties for that is because they themselves are undercapitalized. Mm -hmm. Okay. Have you ever heard of a business failing because it had too much capital? <laughs> no. No, of course not. Like take a look at Apple. They're sitting on a, like a couple billion dollars or whatever. They can make they can make strategic investment moves and decisions as they see technology change. Mm -hmm. They can only do that because they're well capitalized. So when you are well capitalized, there's a there's a quote by a guy named uh, Bill Linderman. It says that opportunities when you when you have readily available access to capital, 
opportunities of high caliber will track you down. Mm-hmm. And now Nelson Nash used to say, in fact, they'll hunt you down. Yeah. And so the more that you recognize the power of building up a reservoir, a warehouse of your own capital, the more you are in control of your own destiny. And mm-hmm. then the deal flow. So we talk about deal flow in real estate, that the deals that show up on your desk, as you increase your capacity to do deals, the size and the caliber and the quality of those deals automatically begin to shift. And your radar is like, oh, hey, this one, no, get rid of that one. No, get rid of that one. Oh, boom. Hey, this one looks interesting. This fits my this fits my dynamic and my bubble. Yeah. And I've got capital and resources to go to work. Yeah. So what are some of the uh, the misconceptions or the uh, the challenges that people have when they're trying to, I mean, they've read the book, let's say, and then they, or they have... They watch a YouTube video and then they say, oh, I, I want to do that. That's, that sounds cool. I mean, I understand what generally what that means. And that sounds like it, it would work for me. So what are some of the challenges and kind of like misconception or kind of like, uh, yeah, mistakes that people are making? This is a really good question, by the way. I love that question. Okay. Um, I, I would say fundamentally, one of the biggest things is that they're not reading the book frequently. Yeah, you're not going through the book. Like if you you look at my book, you'll see there's a a few notes and chicken scratches and highlights on this book. And paintbrush, okay? (laughs) Just highlight the whole thing. I've actually gone over faded highlighter with new highlighter in here. Uh, It's at the point now where like I'm writing dates down as I rediscover something. And so there's an expression that when uh, the student is ready, the teacher will appear. This 92 page, page book is like that. And so I've been reading this same copy of this book now for almost 14 years, and I'm still being inspired and I'm learning new things in it. Yeah, It's not that I haven't read the words before. It's that my mindset and my awareness of what, what I'm doing in regards to infinite banking, but also on business and everything else on the sun, everything else that ties into my financial life, it all circles back to how this concept is implemented because it's a lifestyle. Mm-hmm. So- the number one, I think, fundamental downfall for people who who start looking at this concept is that they're looking at it as an investment vehicle. Yeah. That is absolute BS. That's mm-hmm. not what it is. Yeah. If you want an investment vehicle, cool, get into real estate, tune yeah. into more episodes of this show. Like there's tons of other ways you can do that. That is not what this is for. This is not a replacement for your investing. And it's not meant to be looked at in any yeah. way, shape or form for a rate of return. What it is, is a savings account on steroids that protects your family in a dramatic way, allows for generational thinking, and it's a lifelong utilization. It's a lifestyle. So when you are doing your research and your exploration, first of all, if you haven't read the book, then you shouldn't be started in anything, number one. And then number two is recognize that this is something that, that takes time and commitment, no different than learning how to invest in real estate. Mm -hmm. You can make the decision you want to invest in real estate, and you can go make an offer on a property, but if you don't know anything, then you probably are going to fail, I would say, pretty heavily in the first five years, most likely. If not, you're going to hit the school of hard knocks pretty hard. Yep. So you might need to coach. You're going to need to invest in some courses. You're going to need to listen to a bunch of content. All of that stuff, listening to the content, the YouTube videos, the podcasts, all those things that you do, those are investments in your time and your knowledge. So the same investment in your time and knowledge that you would do for learning how to pick stocks or doing options trading or learning how to do real estate, you would want to commit similar thinking to your engagement with the infinite banking concept. Mm-hmm. This isn't a one and done and you just set it and forget it type of thing. It, it does have some of those kind of advantages, 
but your behavior as a policy owner will determine the eventual outcome. So we focus on that the behavior, you know, your behavior is far more important than the behavior of the insurance company. And I, I can prove that if I needed to. But the key is to understand that this is something that will be there with your whole with you for your whole life. And it needs to be treated as an, a priority asset. I yeah. think that, you know, if we think about a, a house or an apartment building, you wouldn't build an a, apartment building on a weak foundation. Mm-hmm. Okay. So if you wouldn't do that for a structure that you would consider one of the, the best known solid investments in mankind's history, real estate, why on earth would you do it this, with this? Mm-hmm. This this foundation, in my opinion, and I, it's it's an opinion, should be the the underpinning aspect of every other major financial decision that you make afterwards, because this sets the protection in place, and then it allows you to build on it on an ever increasing base. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, what are some uh, examples of kind of how you can use that that policy loan, and then to to what are maybe success stories or other ideas? That people can, you know, just a quick list of, you know, 10 or five or 10 uh, ideas and say, oh, you could do it for this. So this is, a, oh, oh, okay. I'm interested in that. Well, so, you know, things like annual annual expenses or recurring expenses, wow. especially if you can do a discount. I have one of my, uh, we've known a number of people who, whether they rent, let's say an office space or they rent, uh, maybe they even rent a home. They go and negotiate with the landlord who owns that building. And they say, hey, if I paid you all up front in cash, yeah, yeah, yeah. Would you give me two months off? Yeah. Now, if you did that, that could be a 20, 25% rate of return, but you didn't change anything. You just changed where the money's coming from. Does that make sense? Yep. So th- that's that's one of the environments where people are getting creative and they're doing things because they're asking different questions. So that's where the thought process of IBC comes in more so than the product or the or the tool. Mm-hmm. You know, we have a ton of real estate investors uh doing things. Like I I, I have a couple of guys out in uh eastern Canada, they're buying you know, a bunch of like four, six and eight plexes. So yes. in about a year's time, they're, they're both actually were born in Africa, like one village apart, met in Canada on a Zoom call, had no, didn't know each other, created a corporation, a business relationship. Boom. They've acquired, uh, I can't remember. I think it was like 24 doors on multiple buildings in the last like eight months. Nice. They just, they just, during the, one of the winter storms, they just had one building totally taken out, like 30 grand worth of repairs that the insurance had to fight with the insurance company on different insurance company. Yeah, uh, but they, they were buying a new unit and it was going to require some renovations. They already had a private lender pony up about 65 K for the, for the renovation so they can raise yeah. rents, you know, the, the, the Burr strategy essentially. Yeah. And they've already got a commitment from the, the, uh, the current first mortgage holder that they will re readvance once the renovations are done. Does that make sense? Yep. So that money is going to be tied up for about two months. Well, we set up the contracts to accept that money before they started the renovations. So both of the partners have a buy-sell arrangement. If one of them kicks the bucket, money shows up so that they can pay out the other spouse so they don't have to be in business with the spouse, right? As a, as a business owner, when you're getting into partnerships, you need to make sure you're protected by things like a buy-sell arrangement so that yeah. you don't you don't have to deal with those kinds of things. That's what that the partnership agreements are meant for. So they sol- had to solve that problem we solved that problem and then incorporated the design of IBC into their life so that it would be able to accept the cash flow off of all these units. Mm-hmm. So now they can run a good, a decent chunk of some of their gross cash flow through the units on a monthly basis once they once they build some things up. Yeah. And then they'll be able to access to pay off, pay their their uh, their burn, basically yeah. their monthly burn. 
and they'll be able to, they're going to store the differential, their net cash flow is going to be stored in the policy. Wow. Wow. That's a big, that's very cool. Very so cool. there's a lot of things you can do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's get me thinking about what I could be doing for because I have a I have a insurance policy that I could use for that, but I haven't taken a policy loan on that yet. So I have to figure out. That's what another I'm one. Well, another one that's really good is like, um, uh, you know, like your property tax account and stuff. Like, uh, trying to think of. Uh, the word that we use because in Canada they don't use the same word, but like, like escrow, you mean like when you yeah, yeah you, exactly your escrow account and stuff like that. So some people have these huge buildup of escrow accounts, yeah, and all that capital is tied up and it's frozen. So instead of doing that, look at how you can you can recycle and start the process of changing the flow of that money mm-hmm. so that it's it's being housed inside of the insurance contract, yeah. so that you're you're stockpiling the escrow in a new way. Yeah. Then when it comes time to pay the annual and the property tax, the insurance and all that stuff, you're yeah. doing it from the machine. Yeah. And then it doesn't mean it, it, what that looks like is you're going to have probably an increasing loan in that machine. But then as you also have windfall events. Yes. So windfall events are like when you sell a property, you do an equity takeout, yeah. tax refund, um, gifts at Christmas, like it could be little things or big things and or or uh, a, a death in the family these things yeah. produce windfall events so nice. if you know that that's going to happen and you have a, a reasonable expectation or thought about that you can start to plan for future events with today's money does that make yeah. sense yeah yeah and i'll give you an example of that so i'll let's you know i want to bring this into like family banking because this is where the root of all this this ties into um so i have uh, my daughter's five my son is seven since my daughter was two, I've been talking to my kids about the family bank. So my kids understand that we have the Canfield family bank. Mm-hmm. They don't really know what it is. They don't know anything about insurance. Yeah. They know that this book is important. And they they think of this guy, Nelson Nash, kind of like Santa Claus. He's a character in their life. Does that make sense? Uh, yeah, yeah. So so we pay homage essentially to Nelson <laughs> and what Nelson taught us. Yeah. So they are always aware from a mindset that oh. this is important thinking. Now, uh, when I talked to my kids and we used a, a storybook that she had and, and this little girl, she goes to the piggy bank. She wants to buy these mm-hmm. fancy red shoes. It's $40. She only had $20. Okay. She goes to mom and dad. They say, no, they say, no, she goes and gets jobs to earn the money. Okay. Good, good lesson for the kids. She earns the money and she goes and buys the shoes. And then of course she has to pay sales tax. And we have a nice little joke. My daughter and I about that. We go boo, icky, icky sales tax. Um, anyway, so, so she learns about sales tax. So, this little girl goes to the piggy bank to get the money. And I said to my daughter, I said, Nora, where do we get the money for, for our family when we go to buy scenes? She says, from the Canfield family bank, you know, <laughs> big high five. And we, we have a hug. I say, oh, great. Now, if we take money out of the family bank, what do we have to do? She says, we have to put it back in. Boom. High five, big hugs, high five. Awesome. Why do we have to put it back in? So we can use it again later, dad. So we can use it again later. Mm-hmm. All she understands is those three fundamental things. Yeah. But I'm beating that into my kids' heads yeah. so that they recognize that value. And here's why. We had an f- annual family banking meeting last year down in Palm Springs. It was amazing. We were going to associate conversations around money and conversations around the family bank specifically yeah. as fun and enjoyable. We're going to plan it with our vacation. Now, that meeting was only about 30 minutes. We had ice cream and you know, treat, you know, kids got to pick a treat. We sat around and we talked about all the things that they loved about this, our time in Palm Springs and the pools and the friends we were with and all the fun things that they got to do. Mm-hmm. And we celebrated all those things. You say, now, why is it that we were able to come and do this? 
I know why dad, because of the family bank. That's right. High five, high five. Awesome. Now that we've come on this trip, if we want to do another trip like this, what do we need to do? We need to put the money back in dad. Yeah, that's right. High five, high five. Dad's got to go to work. He's got to earn revenue. We're going to put that back in to replace the money so we can use it again later. So we're keeping it very high level and very simple. Now, as kids are older, obviously you can have different lessons, but there, my kids will only ever stand working with the family bank. Mm-hmm. My plan is that by the time they're old enough, they will never need to use a traditional bank as you and I have experienced in our life. Mm-hmm. So when they want to access capital, they're going to come and access it from mom and dad. And we're going to have a loan agreement in place, a commitment to repay, and a plan of attack. And if something goes sideways, we're going to talk about consequences. Yeah. Now, I own contracts on my kids. I have two on each of them. So four four policies on my kids. Mm-hmm. Those policies are they're growing very well. I've already used them for a whole bunch of things. Yeah. But when I when I shoot forward into the time and I take myself out to age 90, let's just say yeah. my wife and I are in our 90s. Do you think it's probable that I've been using those policies? Say yes. Yeah, yeah. Sure. I can use them to draw down a passive income. I can get passive income off my real estate, from my business, from yeah. other sources, or we've got books. So there's you know royalties, these kinds of things. Yeah. Now, now there's multiple sources of income coming in, but one of those sources can be what we're what we're pulling down out of these policies. Yeah. Now, if I leave a giant outstanding loan on my kids' policies, do you think I really care about that? No, I don't. And here's the reason why. Because dad got insured first, and so yeah. does mom. So when dad kicks the bucket, a mm-hmm. boatload of tax-free money is going to show up and they're already going to have instructions about what to do. Yeah. They're going to take that money and they're going to automatically pay off any outstanding policy loans, which means it's going to reset the values back to when they were age zero. Mm-hmm. It's like backdating an insurance contract 60 years. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah. That windfall event already has an intention, an intention for what we're going to do with the money, yeah. which means every mortgage payment, Every car payment, every uh, uh, student loan payment that my children, you know, paying for their wedding, everything that my kids borrow from the family system and mm-hmm. they pay back with principal and interest, yeah. they're going to get every dollar back. Yeah, yeah. No, that's good. Very good. Excellent. I think it's very, uh, very inspiring. I think I, I definitely like, I mean, the education aspect of it too, about the uh, kind of like handling the money. I mean, our previous generation, my parents' generation was about, okay, you get the money, you spend it. You get more money, you spend it. And there's no savings. <laughs> there's nothing going on. At least now you have, you have, yeah, you have some money, you pay the bank, you pay yourself first, you take some money out, and then you do you do something. So I, I like that. And it's good that you, we're already starting to kind of educate children to kind of like think about money. Money has been such a taboo over the years that it's, uh, you know, it's glad just to have the conversation about it and then start for the kids to see how the mechanics uh, works, especially, you know, starting at seven and five. Uh, this is this is very amazing. So, uh, Richard, I think we're going to we're about to wrap it up. Uh, if people want to reach out to you, I think you have a YouTube channel also. Uh, so where can they? what's the best way for them to uh, reach out to you and learn more about what uh, what you're doing? Well, there's a couple of great resources, Eric. And, uh, you know, first, I would direct people to go to seven steps ca. Um, there's a great report. It's a free report. You can get there. It walks you through the seven steps that we recommend you need to go through in the learning journey to decide if infinite banking is the right fit for you. Mm-hmm. And it and, and there's several very key items in there, including reading Nelson's book, 
watching Nelson Nash documentary film, which you can get at nelsonnashfilm.com. Um, our podcast is Wealth Without Bay Street. Uh, we, although we are in Canada, we operate, I mean, really, we, we speak to people all over the States as well. And uh, we have a lot of fun. We have great entrepreneurs on there. So lots of good entrepreneur oriented mm-hmm. stuff. So you go yeah. to wealthwithoutbaystreet.com and uh, you can order a copy of our book, of course, there. So we have Canadian's Guide to Wealth Building Without Risk, which is the process of becoming your own banker. And yeah. we just released here in December of 2022, uh, Cash Follows the Leader, mm-hmm. which is uh, uninterrupted daily growth of high cash value insurance. Okay. Um, we're slated to have our, hopefully by end of February, our third book, which is Keep Taxes Away from Your Wealth. Uh, mm-hmm. to be coming out. And then we're going to have a book on actually family banking, the family banking concept of family banking meetings, yeah. uh, hopefully releasing in June of this year. Yeah. And I think how, yeah, how to talk to the kids about money and all of that. And I like that too. Like you have a loan agreement, you have, uh, and all of that It's the same for me with my kids. I, I kind of made it also kind of like semi-official and then, yeah, we're going to put things on paper and all that kind of stuff. So I love it. Thank you, Richard. It was a pleasure speaking with you and um, talk to you later. Yeah, appreciate it, Eric. And uh, thanks for having an amazing show and for what you do for everybody. It's fantastic. Thank you very much. Take care. Thank you for listening to Break Away from the Rat Race with your host, Eric Martel. If you want to share your story and experience with our listeners, please message us on Facebook at Break Away from the Rat Race. Also, please subscribe to our YouTube channel and our podcast on iTunes.